Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, April 3rd. Can a walk a day keep the doctor away when it comes to depression? We speak with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician, for details on new research that points to exercise being a more effective treatment for depression than medication. Do you know what services are available to support youth mental health and well-being here in Calgary? We talk about what's available and the importance of these services with Ryan Clements, Program Manager for the Summit Centre for Youth Resilience. And finally, Finally, it's our weekly segment aimed at helping you reach your goals and live your best life. This time out on Motivational Monday, we meet award-winning retired school principal, speaker, author, and coach Elizabeth Bennett. Elizabeth shares details of her work to spark what she calls courageous conversations with the teens in our lives to build real and meaningful communication. Could it be that a walk a day can keep the doctor away when it comes to depression? A new study from the University of South Australia found that exercise improves many areas in one life, in one's lives, uh, but in some cases, it can be even more effective in treating depression than medication. With details on the research, we're joined by our on-call family physician, Dr. Ted Jablonski. Good morning to you, Dr. J. Good morning. Um, this sounds like excellent news, Dr. J. Uh, tell us what you found about the research uh, reviewing it. Yeah, so this is a very interesting study in that they looked at existing research. So this wasn't uh, anything new. It looked at all the studies that had anything to do with depression, anxiety, or what they call psychological distress. So they looked at 97 different studies, 128 uh, thousand people were involved in these studies, and they sort of looked at all the data and averaged it out. And in those averages, it looked like exercise, sort of no matter how you sliced and diced it, improved depression, improved anxiety, improved psychological distress to, I think, a degree that was sort of better than expected, if you want to put it that way. Dr. J, did it matter what type of exercise in regards to improving your mental health? Did it have to be super strenuous or was walking enough, just any type of exercise? Well, so again, this is difficult because this is very much a generalization. If you average out a lot, a lot of studies, you're going to get a blur of a little bit of everything. So what they did find is um, moderate or higher intensity was definitely better than low intensity. So if you were to walk, you'd have to get into that moderate range. So at a brisk walk or a jogging, cycling, something with a little bit more. So they did find that intensity did matter and higher intensity was better. They did find an interesting finding is that if the program was too long, it actually lost some of its benefit. So anything under 12 weeks seemed to be more effective than over 12 weeks. And that's because we're human. (laughs) We we sort of give up on things or we can't keep that uh, momentum going. So good, good news for an intervention, if it's just short and sweet and a little bit of intensity can really have big bang for the buck. It's interesting, Dr. J, because we've talked about, you know, physicians perhaps prescribing physical activity more so for the cardiovascular and the the physical benefit. And now we're talking about the mental. Where are we with prescribing physical activity? Is this something that you're doing on a regular basis or more than you used to? And uh, is this something that's going to grow in popularity? Yeah, I try to do it. Absolutely. And again, the study, sort of the headline of the study is that we should be prescribing this first, even before medication or other things. Uh, And that's a really difficult thing if somebody's really struggling. The notion that I'm really depressed or I'm very anxious and 
oh, you just need to get out there and exercise and you'll be fine, uh, is really difficult because just getting out of bed and just doing anything is very, very difficult. But it, it, it harkens to the fact that it really, it's, it's a place that we have to go to and we have to use more and more. And I've always believed exercise to be a mental health exercise as much as a physical one. So I've been a believer of this for, for many, many, many years. So it's good to see data or studies that are sort of backing up what I believe for, for, for a long time. And I do try to prescribe it in, in sort of in a specific way and uh, try to coax people into doing it, knowing the huge benefit if they do, uh, do get involved and do get started on this. And you you back up what you say. You're walking the walk and talking the talk because you're a runner. I know you're very physically fit. Uh, so do we know the why behind this? Is it is it just the, the pumping up of endorphins, et cetera? Well, it's, there's a lot of chemistry involved. So we do know there are neurotransmitters or, or chemicals that help our nerves interact in the brain. And exercise improves the levels of those chemicals improves the mediation of those chemicals. Uh, so BDNF, there's a brain-derived neurotrophic factor. If somebody wants to look it up, BDNF is sort of the, the key of that, that exercise seems to improve levels of BDNF, and BDNF is this mediator that helps all the other chemicals work really, really well, wakes up our brain, makes the sort of the, uh, the chemicals work much better. So we do know the science behind this, um, and we've known this for quite some time. But I guess it just is implementing. How do we get it going? How do we, how do we believe what we know from a, a theoretic point of view and get it into practice so people actually do this and really get better from it? Dr. J, do you think part of the trepidation, for example, when you're going to be prescribing physical activity, uh, people have these images of maybe the Peloton commercials and people just giving her or no friends who've run marathons or lift heavy yeah. weights, and, and they're a little afraid because they've, they've gone from sedentary to, to being prescribed physical activity. Can you talk about the power of, if you've been, you know, I'm going to say it's sitting on your butt for quite some time, mm-hmm. of walking yeah. around the block on a daily basis and how quickly you might see some results? Yeah, no, I, I agree totally, Andy, in the sense that um, we think of uh, exercise as a gym membership and having to lift weights or do something very heroic, and it's absolutely not about that. It's just getting out and doing something or doing it even in your own house um, with very simple equipment. There's just so much out there that we don't have to we don't have to buy anything. We don't have to, you know, um, uh, uh, like uh, commit to something that that's bigger than what we are. So just getting out uh, and getting moving is really the key. And again, this is not a new message. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember as a kid, you know, participation. You know, mm-hmm. just all these different uh, taglines that were used in marketing, but. But they're so true, Um, just getting out there and getting going, whether it be a a nice walk every day or, you know, whatever it takes, uh, and then just building on that and getting more and more. Uh, We do talk about that 30 minutes of exercise, five days a week, that 150 minutes a week is nothing. It's just such a small amount of time. Uh, and if, but if we could do it, the benefit is huge. We just have to get out there and do it. And breathe that fresh air. It's hard to think how it wouldn't be helpful in any way, shape, or form. So thank you so much for breaking it down, Dr. J. I always appreciate your time and your opinions and thoughts on some of these studies that we come up with. Thank you. Okay, you betcha. Appreciate it. Dr. Ted Jablonski is our on-call family physician.
When Calgary youth need mental health services, do you and your family know where to turn? Joining us to talk about the importance of supporting youth mental health and wellness right here in our very own city is Ryan Clements, Program Manager for The Summit. Good morning, Ryan. Thanks for coming in live in studio. Thanks for having me. Appreciate your time. Tell us a little bit about this summit and what it's going to be offering up. Yeah, so the Marion uh, and Jim Seneve Summit for Youth Resilience was uh, just opened this a uh, couple of weeks ago on March 13th, and it has really three distinct services that are connected to it. We have a uh, Tarmigan Day Hospital, which supports kids and families who are exiting our inpatient units within mental health. Uh, we have our Talman Family Services, which is an uh, intensive outpatient uh, program. And then we have our Awarko Family Walk-In Services, which is meant to support kids and families in crisis as really an alternative to going to the emergency department when okay. they need support. Let's talk about demand for the support, uh, youth mental health services in our province, in our city for that matter. Um, how has it typically been, and have we seen this demand on the rise? Yeah, for the last really 10, 15 years, the demand has continued to go up. And obviously the pandemic, that was something we didn't anticipate. So, you know, it's we're lucky that the, the numbers that we see now are less than those pandemic uh, days, that there was really high demand, uh, but we're still seeing really increased demand across all of our service areas. The need is as high as it's ever been. Um, so a center like the, the summit is really meant to support kids and families as an alternative to, to some of the things that might already exist and to meet that high demand uh, across the, the city and the province, actually. Yeah, I was going to say, because we're certainly seeing, you know, so much overwhelm on the system right now to have different options available is super important. So, you know, as parents, Andy and I both have young kids, teenage kids and caregivers alike. How do we recognize when a young person might need a, a mental health support? Yeah, so I think there's, you know, there's a few things that you can start to look for. We, we know, like I said, that the demand for mental health services on, is on the rise. And one of the things we see a lot of lately is a lot of anxiety in kids, especially pre- post-pandemic. Um, so you can look for things like, you know, changes in, in your child's behavior, eating, sleeping, uh, how they're doing at school, things like their ability to maybe regulate some of their feelings that maybe typically they've been able to do in the past, uh, things that, you know, maybe they were okay um, and now they're struggling with a little bit more. Those are things we can kind of pay attention to. And the big thing becomes just sort of talking about those things. Um, I often say, you know, when a kid breaks his arm, breaks his leg and, and heads to school, what, is, what does everybody do? They, they rally around him, they, mm-hmm. they sign his cast, they wish him well, they make accommodation. Well, we have to kind of look at mental health the same way. You know, when we struggle with our mental health, we don't need to hide around that. We don't need, you know, there's nothing wrong with us. We're not broken. We need that same type of support. We need that same type of accommodation from the people we care about and our loved ones. It's really important. We are speaking with Ryan Clements, uh, Program Manager for the Summit, focusing on youth mental health this morning. And, and I want to ask you this, because to that point, we'd be foolish to think there was not a stigma anymore. The, the fact is, like you say, we have to become more accepting. Have you noticed a change, a positive change, to, to being more accepting with, you know, even as a, an individual, saying, I can come forward? Has that changed as demand has risen? Yeah, I think it really has. I mean, I think the, the fact that, you know, we built the center that in partnership with the Alberta Children's Hospital Foundation, they raised you know, almost $50 million in a year, really reflects that people are starting to see the, the importance of mental health, just like they're seeing it in terms of regular health. We talk about mental health in terms of health and wellness. Mm-hmm. So you are seeing more people start to access services. You're starting to see more people talk about things. You're seeing parents uh, be more open and understanding about you know, having those conversations with their kids and thinking about the impacts of mental health in terms of just overall function beautiful building i'm just on the website right now which is ahs.ca slash the summit where is this 17th street northwest 17th street and 12th avenue so yeah just in the community of houndsfield heights very close to sort of the bethany uh yeah beautiful new building uh i often say it looks probably more a little like you're going into a university building or google than it feels like you're going into a health center that's one of the things that almost every family who's come to the center so far has told us 
how calming the building is, how how it makes them nice feel. Big windows, bright and light. Lots of natural light. Yeah, a really kind of environment that's conducive to mental health that feels a little different than maybe your typical hospital environment. So if I have a child that's not doing well, I think there's some sort of, uh, you know, issue going on in terms of mental health, can I come right to the facility? Yeah, you can come right there. So the walk-in really is that place to come to. And again, a lot of families typically would often go to the emergency department because they didn't know where else to go. Mm-hmm. But the walk-in is open 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. seven days a week. Mm-hmm. So it really allows people to come in get support. Um, and the great thing about the walk-in is a parent, you could actually come in without your child. You know, if, if your your child wasn't ready to come in, didn't know, didn't want to talk about things, you could come in and just say, I don't know what to do. I need some support. I need some ideas. So you meet with a therapist, get some ideas of what might be going on, some suggestions, idea, and, and then potentially helping to navigate the very big mental health system that we do have. Sounds awesome. fantastic. Yeah. That family support as well. Uh, one of the, uh, I guess you'd say, unintended consequences, but perhaps a, a positive coming out of the pandemic was how much we've become to learn about Zoom meetings and FaceTime and such. Is there still a component of that for those people who have trepidation to, to go into a facility? Is there still an opportunity to do some of these online meetings? Yeah, a lot of our services within Child and Adolescent Addiction and Mental Health really try to utilize online meetings, uh, especially where we can sort of break down barriers for people where, you know, getting to, to our facilities is really challenging and, and there are all kinds of barriers. So, yeah, really Zoom and, and the pandemic has opened up lots of doors in that way, which has been really helpful because really when we talk about supporting people with their mental health we're really trying to break down as many barriers as we can just to get in front of people Mm -hmm. uh, so that we can start supporting them and meet their needs what what age group of of kid are you looking at helping through this facility so i mean we talk about child and adolescent mental health we're really talking about zero to 18 i would say our services are probably more geared to that sort of youth age that sort of 11 to uh, 18 area. Having said that, this this past week, I think we saw a number of kids, you know, 8 to 12 uh, and their parents. So Just sad, know, but great at the same time. Yeah. And if we can catch those kids early on, you know, maybe those are kids later on who aren't accessing the system in a much more acute uh, way. And the communication part of it, Ryan, in that, and I always say this to my wife, you know, when, when it comes to my teens, we're preteens, now teens, I always have to dissect, is this a teen being a teen? Or is this an issue that they're struggling with? And that must be part of it is the conversation. And even if it means, and and there may be a negative connotation to testing, but bringing a a teen in to say, you know, is this normal teen behavior or are you struggling with something that we can't address? Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a really important thing, especially for a lot of parents, especially at the walk-in where they come in and say, yeah, is this typical adolescent development, the things that we all sort of go through, or should I be worried? And there's nothing wrong with being able to do that because some of those worries right now can manifest into much more uh, challenging things down the road. Road. So it's, it's never a bad thing to kind of look at those things, get some ideas, and again, to sort of normalize those things. And, you know, one of the things that did occur during the pandemic is, you know, a lot of kids miss some really important developmental stages. Mm-hmm. We had, you know, junior high kids who are now in high school who kind of missed those years, high school kids who are in university who missed those years. And there's a lot of things you go through over that two, three year period that you didn't and you missed. And, and we see a lot of that in terms of uh, the kids and families who are coming into the center uh, struggling and, and like I said, a lot of anxiety around some of the things that, you know, normally you have to go through in order to grow up. Yeah, and even just the face-to-face part of life that our kids really missed out on for a few years, right? I think that's taken a toll. I can see it on my kids. Absolutely, and we talk a lot about, you know, we, we can't necessarily prevent some of the challenging and difficult things from happening to kids, but we can build some resiliency. We can teach them skills. We can do things that will help them deal with those things and that's really what kind of growing up is. And, and again, when you miss, miss some of those developmental stages, you miss the opportunity to build resilience. And, and we've got to kind of go back a little bit and do some of that work. I agree. If you're, yeah, if you're, if you're struggling or just, you know, curious, there is the resource, 
the summit. And again, it's ahs.ca slash the summit. I believe the switchboard number is 587-534-7200. Yes, it is. Good stuff. Thanks for taking the time and explaining it to us this morning. Thanks for having me. Ryan Clements, program manager for the summit. Courageous conversations that parents need to have with their kids. That is the focus of this week's Motivational Monday. Joining us live in studio this morning is international speaker and coach Elizabeth Bennett. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Sue. Thanks so much for being here live with us. Nice to see people face-to-face to to have these important conversations, and this definitely is. You say it's all about connection, so I don't really think anyone could argue that we really need to be connected with our young people, but tell us why you believe connection with our kids is is key these days well here's the bottom line with that we have bullying is rampant mental health is through the roof and the saddest thing of all is that suicide is the second cause of death of teens and so this is an opportunity for us to really get reconnected with our kids we need to find out what's going on with them mm-hmm. and What I found is that when I speak with kids, they say, well, you know, I don't feel valued. Nobody seems to listen to me. I have a hard time. Um, What we do is yell and scream at home. And then I have parents coming in and, and they're frustrated and concerned and sad. And they don't know what's going on either because they're seeing their kids change right before their faces. And and they don't, they don't seem to get it, and they don't know how to connect. They don't know what to say to their kids. And so then they end up being frustrated and yelling and screaming at each other. And so here they are. They're this far apart, and I want to be that conduit that brings them back together again. Love it. With your career, over 35 years of teaching, administration, and coaching experience, I, I think, in my opinion, the easy way is to say and paint it with it, well, the technology is what's getting in their way. But I remember being a teen, and, and I have teens in my house, so does Sue. I, I think that electronics are part of it, but connecting with our teens is, is nothing new, is it? No, it isn't, but here's what ends up happening is, you know, you get the, the one-word answer kind of thing. So, you know, the parent is excited about seeing their child yeah. after being at school all day, and they say, so, hey, how was your day, Right. It's a common kind of question. Mm -hmm. It really has an impact for the parent. They really want to know what's going on. But what ends up happening is the answer becomes fine. You know, like kids have great four-letter words. Nothing. Fine, good, (laughs) nice, and then nothing, right? Well, what'd you do all day? Nothing. Well, what do you mean? You were there for eight hours, right? And that parent's um, attitude is just getting a little escalated because they're kind of frustrated. They're waiting for a really great answer. Have you been watching me at my house? (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, so then here comes the apathy piece for the teenager. So up goes the hoodie, in go the earbuds, Mm -hmm. out comes the cell phone, and they're out of there. The sad part about it, though, is that they're really sad and frustrated and heartbroken because their parent hasn't asked about them. They asked about their day, which is out there, right? And then the parent is standing in the kitchen or living room or wherever, and they're heightened and frustrated and heartbroken as well because they don't know what different question. They thought that question was pretty easy and Mm -hmm. straightforward and just wanting to know. And then they're left with that kind of space about now what? Now what do I say? And now what do I do? 
And there's that separation right there in and their the house. And the gap just continues yep. to grow, right? Uh, and you are an award-winning retired school principal, and you've been nicknamed the teen genie. <laughs> so obviously you've lived in that space, and that's where your experience, your knowledge comes from. Tell us exactly then, what do you do in terms of dealing with the, the, the teens and, and bringing them closer together with parents, for example? Well, I find out what's going on for them because, you see, behavior is a form of communication, and it's under there, and we often respond and react to the behavior rather than trying to find out what's really going on. So you ask more questions. You you find out about, so tell me a little bit more, or you say something like, uh, I notice that you're you're looking frustrated or upset or angry. And, and if you pick the wrong one, they'll certainly tell you. And so you just continue to have that conversation to say, well, you know, give me a little bit more to work with. Like if you said that you're angry about this, tell me a little bit more about it. What's making you so angry, right? So that, that finally there's a voice there. Finally, they have a space where they're being listened to and being heard. And, and that's also what I speak about when I'm chatting with parents, too, to say we need to come from a different perspective now <clears throat> because we come, with, um, we come with our filters, so our background, our, you our know, what, we, what we grew up with, what we heard, and so on. And those are filters that show up in front of us. So they show up in the way we speak, in the way we see, in the way we hear, and so we need to be able to have those filters moved out of the way so that we get a different kind of understanding. And, and you know, as, as parents and as educators and as, you know, adults, we often just want to solve the problem for our kids. Mm-hmm. And we just want to be there to, you know, so that they're not hurt, they're not in pain and so on. And sometimes we need to let that go. We need to hold on to that solution thing first and listen to where they're coming from so that we understand. And that's one of the the five strategies of dedicated listening that I talk about is understanding versus judgment. So we have to put our judgment aside and and really understand what's going on for them. You've laid some great groundwork, Elizabeth, but I'm wondering, aside from, you know, the techniques and where we should be taking these conversations, is does the atmosphere and the environment of where we're having these conversations help? And I, I, what I'm getting at is I've heard time and time again, some of the best conversations are had in the car when you're alone because <laughs> they can't get away. I know with my teens, if I say, hey, let's, I'll, I'll take you for a coffee, they know something serious is coming and they might get their guards up. Is there a best place to have these conversations? Actually, more often than not, parents have told me that the car is the best place that they found, either that or at, you know, 10 or 11 o'clock at night when your kids are supposed to be going to bed oh. and going to sleep. And all of a sudden, then there's that space. But the, the piece about the car is interesting because from the perspective of those safety bubbles, those personal bubbles where people can be together and at the same time far enough apart. Now, we need to understand, too, that the space about it is that this is not about, because I recall my mother or father saying this to me, you know, look at me when I'm speaking mm. to you. It's not about the looking thing. Mm. It's about the listening piece. Yeah, brilliant. And, you know, if, if there's a challenge or a concern about having a conversation, then start with something that's a little bit away from you so that it's not that, you know, interrogation piece, but rather 
So I read this article, or I just listened to this podcast, and I just want your opinion about it. Tell me what you think. What would you do if you were in that place, right? So that there's a there's a space out there to begin to have that conversation. And you know what? <laughs> when you listen to kids, oh, my God, some of the things that they say are so brilliant, mm-hmm. and yet we don't take that into consideration. So you... So you might respond by saying, wow, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that, right? And it's not about the space of, you know, having a, a, an answer right away to whatever it is they're saying, but simply just allow that space to be open because sometimes we need that to process. Sometimes we need that just to continue to think about something. And we're very quick as adults to jump in because we don't like the silence. We don't know what to do with it. And it's okay. And sometimes that's what they need to. We're quickly running out of time, but you've given us some great tips. But do you have one specifically you'd like to leave with our listeners to motivate them today and beyond and maybe help with the, that, that conversation? Sure. Two of them in one. Hey. I want them to put away their cell phones, turn off their technology, do what they need to do to get rid of all of that for a short period of time and have a dedicated, focused time with your kids. Get out and have some fun. Do something outlandish. Go tobogganing because we still have snow or it sounds like we're going to have more. (laughs) You know, go jump in a puddle with them. Go do something fun and exciting outside because they need for us to be there for them. Great point and a Mm -hmm. great book, Courageous Conversations. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. Bright and early with Elizabeth Bennett, award-winning retired school principal, speaker, coach, and author courageousnetwork.com. That's courageousnetwork.com to find out more about the book and about what Elizabeth does.